you know, we, we used to ask our parents, why did you settle on the United States? And they never hesitated um, uh, making that decision. And they would say, you know, in, in England or in France, you would never become French or British. Um, the way that you would become uh, an American in the United States. With all of its fault, there's a unique American experience in that story. Welcome to a new episode of Community in Arabic, sponsored by Lipton Yellow Label. I'm so happy today to be speaking with Maya Berri. Maya is the executive director of the Arab American Institute. In 1996, Maya started the government relations department in that institute, and then later became the legislative director of the House Minority Whip. Today, Maya is very active in multiple causes with the Arab American Institute, with the immigration policies, with trade, with the, with the Arab American community throughout the United States. Uh, Maya, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me, and, th and thank you for hosting these wonderful community forums. So Maya, there's 3.7 million Arabs or Arab Americans in the United States. And, you know, while we are a minority among other communities, uh, among other immigrant communities, you can still see a lot of, you know, Arab figures and faces across all aspects of life in the United States and, and even in Canada. Never before have we had that much representation of Arab immigrants or like of Arabs in government, right? Like all the way from Congress to local government. So today, you know, we want to hear from you about your experience and advocacy on behalf of the community. And also we want to hear about what can we do to increase civic engagement and to strengthen our efforts and advocacy to, for the betterment of the community and also to connect all the community organizations that are serving the community. I mean, we found that there is about 100 community organizations or even more across the United States, you know, ranging from student associations to cultural to political organizations serving the community. So, you know, the question is how can we connect and leverage all these assets across the country um, just to advocate for the betterment of the community. So it's, it's an exciting conversation and we're excited to talk to you. Happy to be here. And I, I would only qualify your comments by saying at least 3.7 million, because one of the things we can talk about is the massive undercount of our community that exists because we don't have an, our own category in the U.S. census. But don't get me started on that unless you want me to. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> we'll get to it for we'll sure. <laughs> so Maya, we'd love to hear about, you know, your immigration journey to the United States and growing up. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm one of seven kids, so it was a large family. Um, we lived in Beirut. Um, we, uh, uh, the war broke out in 1975. Um, my parents spent time uh, getting, uh, at the time, my oldest brother uh, out first um, because of the circumstances there. And it became clear that um, the war was only escalating. Um, we actually moved to the United States in 1976, so about a year later. Um, the idea, I think, for many uh, at the time was that we would come here and wait out the war and then go back. Uh, there really wasn't a sense that this was going to be a permanent uh, journey to the United States. Um, but the war lasted 15 years, and this became home real quick, uh, I, I would say. Um, and it's a fascinating piece because, you know, we, we used to ask our parents. Uh, my father worked for an American company. Um, they had traveled the world. They'd been everywhere. Um, the question was, why did you settle on the United States? And they never hesitated um, uh, making that decision. And they would say, you know, in, in England or in France, you would never become French or British um, the way that you would become uh, an American in the United States. And um, here we are, you know, within a single generation, I mean, not even a single generation, the actual immigrant experience is such that um, we're Arab Americans and um, in, the, in some ways the transition can be seamless. Um, I know it's very difficult at times, but um, 
it's, it is, I think, a, with all of its fault, there's a unique American experience in that story. Yeah, absolutely. You know, actually, this was one of the drives of, of our decisions to come here is you can feel American at some point. You know, you see like other immigrant communities, they would live in a different country for years and years and years, and they will always identify as immigrants. But for us, once you transition and once you settle in, you can start slowly but surely identifying as an Arab American. And, and you know, it, it just it starts feeling like home, right? So Maya, actually, question before we dive deeper into the conversation. How was your 2020? Uh, my 2020, we, you know, we've all had better years. <laughs> um, it, I can't believe the extraordinary times that we've all had to endure um, collectively. The amount of time I'm spending in front of a computer screen to connect with other humans is extraordinary. Um, so it's been tough, uh, but, um, you know, it's not, uh, it could always be worse. So I'm, I'm, I'm one of these people who's happy that it's allowed us to reevaluate some things, to kind of think about the way we connect with others. And um, our office has not seen, you know, a full staff in over a year. So talk about what it looks like to, to be in an office today. So yes, a lot of changes. Uh, Maya, we say Arab American. When do we become Arab American versus we are just Arab immigrants? That's a great question. And I always answer the conversations about individual identity. Um, it's incredibly important for people to identify the way they choose to identify. For, for us and the way we approach our work, it's as inclusive as one can imagine. Uh, Arab Americans are uh, people um, that are here in the United States. We don't uh, ascribe citizenship to the term at all, but rather that they're people in the United States who come from the 22 different members of the Arab League, the 22 Arab nations. Um, and it, it's, it's interesting uh, because some people make assumptions about what it means to Arab American. Um, the conflation with, a, with Muslim is one of the most common one that you hear. Um, and that's certainly not the case. Uh, actually, the majority of Arab Americans in this country, primarily because of the earlier immigration patterns, continue to be um, Christians. A plurality of the American Muslim community in the United States. So the conflation is an issue in terms of our fellow Americans' understanding of who we are um, as a community. But one of the benefits of, of being able to do the work that we're focused on, which is specifically the political engagement piece, is we are roughly 3.7 million, but we happen to be concentrated in 12 key states. And so many of those states are just key states, must win states in a presidential election. So it really amplifies our political power and our numbers. Interesting. So what is the mission of the Arab American Institute? Our co-founders um, established the Institute back in 1985 with a very clear uh, mission, which was that Arab Americans were not welcome in the political process of our country. Uh, we had campaigns who were returning uh, our endorsements. We had candidates who were returning our money. In, as you can imagine, if you cannot participate fully in the political process, then you cannot be fully represented and you certainly cannot defend your rights equally. So the Institute was established specifically for the civic engagement and political empowerment of our, of our community. Um, every ethnic community in this country has had to come together and organize. So that part is not unique. What is a little unique for us is you had a situation where you could be an Arab American engaged in politics, fine but you could not necessarily be an Arab American engaged in politics who also advocated for Palestinian human rights. There was a clear targeting of our community when we became active on the issue of Palestinian human rights. And what's interesting about that is Arab Americans across the board, uh, not just those who come from Palestine, care deeply about that issue. It's one of the defining issues for our community. When we've done polling on this, that's been the case. So, um, 
we had these these community members um, who were engaged on that issue, um, and we had to organize to to defend the rights. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, but my I mentioned something that's very important, which is you know that the biggest part of the community is concentrated in twelve key states for elections. Do you think the community understands the power that they have and the power of their vote and the power of organizing? And what is the Arab American Institute doing about? you know, raising awareness among the community and organizing everybody to be kind of like a one vote. They do. They do. And, and it has been uh, a testament to the organizing work that's had to happen for that to happen. We're 5%, we're roughly 5% of the vote in, in the state of Michigan, 2% of the vote in Pennsylvania and Ohio, all three states that are generally must win states for anyone running for president. And, um, you know, I mentioned Jim, one of our founders, he tells the story of Dearborn, Michigan, where I happen to be from, um, 1986, um, a city council member was running for was running for mayor, and um, out of nowhere, a candidate uh, put out a flyer who was not well known. Put out a flyer saying, "Let's talk about city parks and the air problem." City parks was a reference to the flag, the fact that um, uh, black members uh, of our community, primarily from the city of Detroit, uh, were coming to use our parks. So one flag was black people. The city. The issue, the Arab problem was that we were sitting on our porches, um, that we, we would put furniture outside on our porches. We used to, to large families, we'd use our outdoors in our garage more. So literally a candidate goes from talking about blacks and Arabs as being problems and, and he wins the race. Um, oh, wow. And at that time, they, we got a call from, from our friends in Dearborn saying, we, we've got a problem here. This is, this is incredible. The first thing we did is we came and we looked at the voter polls, the roles, and, and you looked at the names, you have this community population with significant numbers and you had hardly anyone registered to vote. And that's how you get to someone picking on you that way, <laughs> becoming the mayor of your city. Um, and one of the first things that happened then was a massive voter registration drive. Today, the majority of the city council in Dearborn is Arab American. The city council president is Arab American. There are, I think, I don't know, nine people running for mayor of Dearborn right now. Um, that's the story of, of, of success. I actually had a quick follow up on this. So the voters now recognize the power of their vote. And the politicians on the local level know the size of the community and it's pretty accessible to them and they realize the, the, the power of the Arab vote. Do you think that nationally politicians are starting to recognize that by mobilizing the Arab vote they can get that few thousand margin to win that state in the national elections? Without question. The first presidential campaign to... Um, this is a funny thing. People, when I talk about the Palestinian issue being so important, um, Lebanese for Nixon was it was a was a campaign was a committee that was created it wasn't arab american it was lebanese um the first campaign that had um the arab american moniker for the endorsement committee actually came in the in the 80s after the foundations of, of these organizations that we talk about um the clinton gore campaign in 1992 had a massive effort of arab americans for clinton gore um, since then, we've had Arab American support committees for every presidential campaign on both parties. Mm -hmm. And we've even had platforms that were issued where you would have a position paper by a campaign. In to this most recent election, the platform that was issued by the Biden campaign for Arab Americans was unprecedented. Um, multiple pages, meaningful deep dive into issues that we care deeply about. Um, and you don't get to that. I mean, campaigns, honestly, they prefer to just sort of go along and get along if they can. There's no reason to draw attention to issues you don't want to raise. You don't get to that without the acknowledgement of a, a, a presidential campaign that it's going to be close. 
and you need people in those key swing states. So Ohio, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Florida, Virginia, uh, again, we, it really amplifies our vote. Yes, we have, I mean, we have more Arab Americans in California than we have any other state, um, but California doesn't swing elections the same way. Um, so they do acknowledge it. Um, they are responding to it. They're courting that vote. Um, there was an Arab Americans for Biden that was created. Um, and, you know, you're getting campaign attention and resources because it's an important constituency. You mentioned a really important point that we are powerful in terms of casting our vote, but at the same time, uh, some of us is Republican, some of us is Democrat, some of us is independent. And that's a really important distinction that, mm -hmm. that uh, Arab Americans, they don't come in one, one size, right? Uh, there's no one umbrella, like, like all Arab Americans are Democrat or all Arab Americans are, are Republican. So that's a, that, that's a very important that you need to be very convincing and talk about the issues because uh, don't, don't think that if you are a, Demo a Democrat candidate that I have the Arab Americans in my pocket. You need to really uh, talk about these issues and convince them that you're a good fit to, to kind of address their issues uh, regardless of their identity versus, uh, of Democrat versus Republican. Mm -hmm. It's, it's absolutely critical uh, to understand that because sometimes people say, oh my goodness, see, we're such a divided community. And it's like, that's not a source of division. That's just representative of, exactly. of the individual community members there. Um, and when we ask, what are your top priorities? Because we do the polling on this and not surprising, not surprising. They are like your average American on this issue. People care about jobs in the economy. People care about education. People care about healthcare. Foreign policy does come up higher than your average like American, but it's literally not in the top three or four issues. Oh. Uh, in fact, in our 2020 poll recently, the, the issue of, of racial reckoning has had an impact because social justice issues came up on yes. top. It beat out mm -hmm. the, the other three that I just mentioned for the first time ever. Um, so yes, it's not a source of of disunity, but rather it is about representation. Exactly. So actually this gets us to the issue of the census, right? You know, 2020, there was a big battle that you guys were on the forefront of, of, of fighting to, you know, add a category that represents Arab Americans as a unique population, whether through, you know, the MENA region or Arab Americans or, or different ways. You know, can you tell us about, in your, in your opinion, the importance of being recognized as a separate category and not being labeled as white um, and, and the progress that was made on it? I mean, I know we didn't make it to the ballot, but was there any progress that was made on making that recognition for future census? Yeah, you have to stop me from talking when I get to this because this really could go on forever. Okay, so the first thing I would say is when we were joking about the Arabian comment, um, I obviously I don't want to be identified Arabian, but the thing that strikes me even like irks me even more is when I'm referred to as Middle Eastern, um, because I think that's the complete erasure of Arab. Um, I had a friend of mine, um, a friend of my, um, the mom to a friend of one of my kids, uh, tell me that she was posting about. Um, she's posting about um, a specific thing on her Facebook page. And she said, I want to be inclusive. And I use the term Arab. That's not offensive, right? So you have this wonderful person who's trying to do the right thing, who's literally asking if your identity, just your identity in and of itself is offensive. Um, so I get triggered by the Middle Eastern reference more than I do about all of the other silliness. Um, <laughs> the Middle East is a geographical area. It is not an identity. And when we seek to create MENA, 
Middle East, North Africa on the census. It is about creating a box, a piece of real estate on a form so that our undercount, the massive undercount that exists with the census is finally addressed. So, and I'd say to you, um, we are at the Arab American Institute, we are what's called a CIC, we're a Census Information Center. So we've been a partner with the Census Bureau for decades. Our first campaign, um, Stand Up and Be Proud and Counted, um, is, dates back to the 1990s. Um, and, and the Census Bureau really is a partner in this. They do not claim to have an accurate count of our community. They know there is an undercount, which is why we've worked together to get to the point of creating MENA as a checkbox. Within that, so you would check off MENA. Within that, you would then identify your country of origin. And I would check off, I am Egyptian and Palestinian and Lebanese. All three allow me to go into the back end and still be able to count Egyptians, Palestinians, Lebanese. So it's not that we're creating MENA Americans. I mean, that's, that's not the point. That's not the identity. There's not a shared, like, it's not the same thing. Um, I will tell you that we actually got there. Uh, the MENA category was tested in the 2015 field study. Uh, it was shown to and demonstrated that it would improve the count. Uh, I believe that we had a complete agreement to move forward. Uh, the OMB did not issue guidance under the Trump administration. And as you recall, for the first time ever in our history, the, the census itself, the decennial census itself was politicized to the point where they tried to add a citizenship question, which had never been tested. And then they abandoned the effort to create a MENA category, which was indeed tested and found to be helpful. So this was a pretty significant hiccup. It's a real problem. Um, I, I will tell you that just last week, the census re released their first data with regards to apportionment. The, the undercount is a quite serious problem for all communities, and it will be for ours as well. Um, I will tell you that we started working <laughs> on efforts for the MENA category in the 2030 census, even before we wrapped up uh, the 2021. Um, and I'm confident that we will have it. Uh, we would have had it this time around without question were it not for the politicization of it. I will, I will make one point though that I think is important. It's not so much that we're seeking a MENA category because we're not white. Um, Arabs are white, Arabs are black, Arabs are brown. A Arabs are um, not a racial group, it's an ethnicity and they can be of multi-racial multi groups. So when people talk about this, they often say, you know, we need our own category because we're getting lumped in with white. And it's, it's like the Hispanic community, which is that we need our own category to be counted, but racially we can identify with multiple races or no race at all. Um, but yes, for us, it's incredibly important when it comes to data. And there's not a thing that we talk about now or that you will talk about tomorrow or when you get in your car to drive home that doesn't, that isn't impacted by census data. So everything we, we do, I cannot stress enough about how um, it relates back to an accurate count. I actually had a quick follow-up on it because under Chicago in Arabic and New York in Arabic, which is the, the affiliate uh, pages that we work on, we partnered with the city to advocate for people, to push people to go out and participate in the census, whether online or through the post postcard. But a lot of feedback that we received was, you know, if there's no category for us, then why does it matter that we participate? Like, why are you targeting, you know, Arabs specifically to go out and participate if there's not a category for us? So, you know, what, I mean, our counterpoint was that, you know, you're, you're, you're still count in your, in your district, in your state, in your city, it still matters for people to go out and be counted. But, you know, what would you say to people that did not go out just because there was no checkbox that says, you know, who am I? Well, first of all, your point is exactly right. You count down to literally your individual block. So if you need a speed bump, you need a, a, a red light put in, a stop sign, you have to, there, 
can't stress enough how much everything is determined. Trillions of government dollars are based on US census data, including political representation as we get ready to literally redraw the districts. So yes. without question, yeah. it's incredibly important. Um, we launched the Yellow Account Me In campaign um, for the decennial census in, uh, in 2019. And, and it is, um, our guidance to, to individuals was that you not, I mean, find yourself on the forum, you're not going to. So put other, we asked people to check other and then to put in specifically your, your, your national origin. So I, I checked off other Lebanese comma Arab. Um, and that allowed us to, to be able to go in and, and still pull that information. So uh, we, we had a massive campaign informing uh, individuals how to fill that out. We had, we had a we had a hotline set up for the census. We received calls like someone who would call and say, "My my landlord helped me fill it out, but they didn't know that." I, I saw your campaign and they didn't know that. How do I fix it? So we literally had people who had filled it out without checking other going back in and correcting it so to make sure that they were represented. That's a very important issue. And if you remember, we we did multiple sessions about it just to spread awareness about the importance of the census. And you know, it's really important that. Uh, I saw in one of your interviews that uh, census is not only about funding, it's not only about uh, representation, but also about uh, public health. Mm -hmm. In public health, you know, you want to check the, the prevalence of a certain disease between a certain population. You need to have the denominator when, uh, when you were mentioning. And, and you know, it's, it's really important to say, like, hey, there are X amount of people with, with high blood pressure or diabetes out of what? So we need to know that number uh, to exactly uh, uh, help with the, with the public health. And now with the pandemic, I mean, it's very important to, to get these numbers to be able to, uh, to respond properly because every population and, you know, uh, as a physician in the healthcare industry, like every population, they have a certain diseases. Mm -hmm. They have certain uh, high risk factors. So, so we need to know that, and that's very important to to elevate the public health of of the of the general population in these states. Absolutely, medical researchers have been a key part of of our working group. We've had an ancestry working group for for years to get to the MENA category, and um, they've been an integral part of this for the very reason that that you're talking about. We know there's a prevalence in our community of certain uh, diseases, and and they literally I got the term the dominator for, for denominator from them. They would say I don't know what to divide this by, so I keep we create all these hacks <laughs> to get around to try to to find this. Um, there are some areas like a, a Metro Detroit or a Patterson, New Jersey, where our high, like the con Orange County, California, where the concentration is high enough that you can get to some of that data. But that's not, you can't do that nationally. And, yes. and, and the importance of getting it right is, is critical. Um, so, yes, this is, this is a really big piece. I, I mean, exactly. We're really indebted to our medical researchers who've, who've found the workarounds, but we need to do better for them. And, you know, talking about public health, how did the Arab American population get affected with the pandemic? What you heard and your experience about that? In communities where um, we are the small business owners, um, it's been devastating. Um, that's been really, like, like other <laughs> communities, that's been yes. really hard. Small business owners, the restaurants, the, the stores, uh, that's been a very difficult period for them. Um, we have... Uh, We've not heard a lot um, from individuals about not wanting the vaccine. So that's been, that's been great. Um, a lot of communities, it's been about hustling to make sure that the vaccine is available to them. Um, but the impact has been, um, 
I mean, Michigan in particular, uh, as you know, being a doctor uh, there, the, the, the numbers are, are alarming um, and they equally impacted our community. Um, and it's, it's been devastating in that way. Um, but we, we, we do have, uh, we have the benefit of a lot of medical doctors in our community, <laughs> a lot of medical professionals, a lot of nurses um, who really played a key role, I think, in, in both protecting um, their fellow Americans, but also in educating uh, the importance of getting vaccinated. Um, so just, it's anecdotal, uh, but, but the anecdotal information yeah. we have has been that it's not been a barrier in our community. So Maya, when we talk about all these issues um, that face the community and then the, the negative impact that it can have on the community, um, you know, back to the early comment, I said that, you know, never before have we had that much representation in government, but is that enough? to deal with all these issues that we're dealing with. And, you know, what is the Arab American Institute doing to, um, you know, I saw you guys have a mentorship program, the Generation Series, you know, how are you advocating to get more people to engage and get into politics? And, you know, one quick comment I wanted to say, you know, as we're preparing for the episode, I was chatting with a friend and she said, um, if you're not political, that means you don't understand the consequences of politics. So what, what is the Arab American Institute doing about telling people, you know, the importance of the issues and the importance of, of participating in the and being, you know, civic engagement um, so we can deal with our issues. We had our first Arab American senator uh, back in the 80s. Um, we had our first cabinet level secretary uh, back in the 90s. Um, our first governor um, in Victor Otia in, in Oregon was, was also in the 80s. Secretary Donna Shalala served in the Clinton administration. Jim Abrisk um, was the first senator um, to have been elected. So it's been a long time. I mean, we had, we had Ralph Nader run for president um, back in 2000. And, and two campaigns later, uh, again, he was named um, one of the Atlantic's 100 most influential people in American history as a result of the impact that his work has had. So we've had people pretty high profile um, in, in, in terms of those roles. What's different um, is that, to, to your point, what's different is that I actually see it among young people in a different way. So yes, we have, like right now, there's six Arab American members of, of Congress. Uh, we don't have a Senator now, uh, but there are countless Arab Americans who are involved in the process. Um, one of the way, I mean, I got involved in the political process by running for delegate. I ran for a precinct delegate in my local neighborhood, thanks to the Arab American Institute. I yeah. didn't work there then, but they recruited me to run for delegate. All I needed was three votes. So I had one <laughs> and I had at least nine members of family who could have voted for me. So there, there I was, I was elected. Um, I went on to become a national delegate. I attended my first convention in 1992 as a national delegate. Um, I have attended every you know, convention subsequently in some capacity with the exception of 2008. That's the piece of this that I think is, is critical. It's not just that we have, and I'm not disputing the importance of having agency in, in terms of Arab Americans serving in Congress, like Congresswoman Tlaib, like Garrett Graves, and Darren LaHood. So we've, we've got actual individual members, Ilhan Omar. That is incredibly important. But it's also the fact that we have young people who are serving as volunteers on campaign, who are helping to run campaigns, who are serving as grassroots organizing for some organizers for some of our leading national uh, organizations. Um, that part of it is, is incredible. And my favorite part of the work that we do at the Institute is, is our Generations Programming, where we have an internship program that we run. Um, it has a very, it's very competitive. I will tell you, we're not doing it during COVID. I did not feel like we could do it without giving them the Washington office experience. But um, we, we run it year round. And in summer in particular, we take 10 interns and form one cohort. 
Um, and they, it's just a, it's a wonderful program. We have a mentorship program where we take mid-level career professionals and pair them up with sort of more seasoned uh, individuals, uh, which is another word for older, but the point is that folks that are more established and, and they get to work together. Um, we have it, that, that type of programming is how you get people engaged in the process. And once they get that bug, once they see the impact of their work, I think they're in it for life, period. The programs you guys have, I mean, it shows the power of the the network, right? Uh, uh, being all connected and uh, to help each other uh, elevate in terms of representation in politics, in terms of opportunities in in other domains, uh, in in career, in in, in professional opportunities. And you know, going through uh, the website we're checking in every state, you mentioned. Uh, a certain organization that you work with, it's really powerful to connect all these organizations and to exchange uh, ideas and skills and to uh, to elevate each other. Mm -hmm. uh, um, do you have in mind any particular uh, examples you want to share with us and, uh, you know, a certain collaboration that was born after? Our Arab American Leadership Council, which is the Arab American uh, elected and appointed officials, they number in the hundreds. So when I, when I give you examples of, you know, very specific here, but we're really talking about hundreds of people that serve in that capacity. So that part is, is, is obviously a wonderful development. And in terms of the Arab American organizations, we have something called the Conference of Arab American Organizations. Um, it's over 250 organizations across the country. And they range from huge brick and mortar institutions providing, you know, social services like a place in like Access in Michigan to a small uh, cultural uh, uh, program that comes together annually to do, to throw the Arab festival in, in North Carolina. Um, it's, you know, that's the range of them. But the point is what's common among all of them is a very real sense of, of, of ethnic pride and the desire to give back to community. Exactly. Um, I mean, the example that comes to mind now is, is an organization called El Bustan in, in, um, in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. um, they primarily a cultural institution. They do really great work. Uh, they, they were one of our key partners during the 2020 decennial census. And um, this is how this stuff works. We, we, you know, we come together and we work on the census together. Well, the census is over, but elections, our yellow vote programming is called integrated voter engagement. We, when we used to establish yellow vote back in 1996, and we would come to a local community and we'd say, come on, you got to get out and vote. And then we would leave. And the criticism was always, you guys are great, but you literally show up like two months before the election. Where are you the rest of the time? <laughs> and I wish we had the bandwidth to do that kind of intense programming more, but, but we really did at that point hear that criticism and tried to do better with making sure that what was a GOTV program became an integrated voter engagement program. So we've partnered with Elba Stanmel. Uh, they're part of the Pennsylvania voter table there. I don't know if it's this weekend or next. I'm not, I'm, I honestly, um, our field person knows, but they're, they're door knocking um, um, in communities, um, encouraging people to, to participate in the political process in a quote off year. That's mm -hmm. the kind of, you know, wonderful partnership um, that I think is, it's, it's fantastic. We can't do our work um, nationally without a deep connection to community locally and the local institutions and the local organizations need to rely on on us for our policy analysis and for the work that, that we do on the national level. It's, it's absolutely both of us are needed. How can our audience or our community help the Arab American Institute to further its mission and, and just advocate for the community better and better? 
Well, thank you for that question. I, I love that question always. Um, look, there are many ways that you can be helpful. And, and I, um, I, I would say that on, on the most basic level um, to really just first be engaged in your local community. Um, we need you sometimes to, to help us. We'll put out an action alert saying this is happening in Washington. We need your help. Contact your member of Congress and ask them to support this. Ask them to oppose this. It, the first time you reach out to your member of Congress cannot be because you want them to do something that way. It really does have to be that you've established a relationship with them. And that applies to your local city council your senators. So please find a way. I know everybody has a full-time job. I know many people have families they have to attend to. I know there's a lot of demands on your time, but find a way to just remain engaged on a most basic level. Um, everybody has a website. Your elected official has a website. Go look at their press section on their website and just see what kind of press releases they put out. It helps you to sort of see what uh, they're prioritizing. And I guarantee you, even if your member is not someone you're aligned with politically, there's got to be a one press release or two <laughs> about something you do care about. Use that as an opportunity to reach out. So that would be my point is in order for you to help us, you have to have already be connected. The second point is, and uh, honestly, I, I run a small nonprofit um, supporting uh, institutions financially. If it's I'd love it to be ours, but even if it's not ours, give it to a, a local organization um, or a national organization uh, just to support their ability to, to continue their programming and their staff um, and just to, just to remain engaged. So actually one more thing I wanted to point out for, for the Arab American Institute, it's something that helped us big time is we looked through um, your library for all the local community organizations because, I mean, while we're doing our research to, to, to find guests for the show, it's really hard to find all the organizations out there. You know, we want to say, we want to reach out to somebody from a culture organization and we'd be looking, okay, where's the, the city with the most air population? Try to look that way. And then we found the library that you guys put out there. And I think it's an incredible resource for okay. people who want to engage. You'll be happy this. We're going to take that and actually create um, a separate website that's just the Arab American organizations and feature them in, at different times because they do such incredibly wonderful work. Um, so yes, I agree with you, and, and it is incredibly important for people to be able to find that information, network with the organizations, um, so we're going to be building that out. I think that's an incredible resource, you know, for people who want to engage, who want to donate, who want to know who's representing the community locally and nationally, this is an incredible resource, so thank you for working on that. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. We really enjoyed the conversation, really informative conversation, and, uh, you know, uh, we would love to talk uh, uh, talk further and keep the conversation going hopefully uh, meet you in person when the pandemic is over and uh, you know uh, we we would love to help in any way possible uh, help you spread awareness uh, about certain topics you guys are are working on on our platform so uh, looking forward for for further collaboration thank you guys so much for what you're doing